What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. Journey into the wondrous land of boundaries of data and imagination. That signpost up ahead, your next stop, Twilight Zone Commentary. And hello, welcome to Talking Twilight Zone, the commentaries. I'm your host, Robert. And usually about this time, you would hear a um, review of an episode from the Twilight Zone. But Lynn and Bobby are moving from Seattle to Philadelphia. And at the time of this recording, I got a call from them. Um, they are taking the Amtrak, and they are in Ohio. So they called and said everything was going well and should be hitting um, Philadelphia tomorrow uh, as of this recording. So um, good luck with them and a safe journey through the rest of the way. And today, the um, commentary review will be It's a Good Life. Now, it's kind of interesting because I was checking uh, when the last time I did a commentary for, and it was last year, um, December to be exact, last year. So it's been almost a year since I did a um, commentary. And I'm going to kind of do this one a little bit different, um, where um, the episode that we reviewed this was episode 73. It was our St. Patty's Day show. And how appropriate it was to um, air that Saturday on St. Patty's Day. So what I'm going to do is also I'm going to throw some clips from that show onto the um, commentary. So you'll hear Lynn, Bobby, Dave, and Rick Wall as well, and how they felt about the episode It's a Good Life as well. Now before we get started with the um, talking of the episode. Let's go and get a little introduction. Now, if you guys want to get a sandwich or something to drink, go right ahead because, as I said before, this is a two-minute opening. So, here is the man himself, Rod Serling. And now, Mr. Serling. Tonight's story on the Twilight Zone is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. This, as you may recognize, is a map of the United States, and there's a little town there called Peaksville. On a given morning not too long ago, the rest of the world disappeared, and Peaksville was left all alone. Its inhabitants were never sure whether the world was destroyed and only Peaksville left untouched, or whether the village had somehow been taken away. They were, on the other hand, sure of one thing, the cause. A monster had arrived in the village. Just by using his mind, he took away the automobiles, the electricity, the machines, because they displeased him. And he moved an entire community back into the Dark Ages, just by using his mind. Now I'd like to introduce you to some of the people in Peaksville, Ohio. This is Mr. Fremont. It's in his farmhouse that the monster resides. This is Mrs. Fremont. And this is Aunt Amy. 
who probably had more control over the monster in the beginning than almost anyone. But one day she forgot. She began to sing aloud. Now the monster doesn't like singing, so his mind snapped at her and turned her into the smiling, vacant thing you're looking at now. She sings no more. And you'll note that the people in Peaksville, Ohio, have to smile. They have to think happy thoughts and say happy things because once displeased, the monster can wish them into a cornfield or change them into a grotesque walking horror. This particular monster can read minds, you see. He knows every thought, he can feel every emotion. Oh yes, I did forget something, didn't I? I forgot to introduce you to the monster. This is the monster. His name is Anthony Fremont. He's six years old with a cute little boy face and blue guileless eyes. But when those eyes look at you, you'd better start thinking happy thoughts because the mind behind them is absolutely in charge. This is the Twilight Zone. Well, that's a nice introduction. And then when we run the episode, you'll see that introduction again. You'll probably want to get a refill on your drink during that time. But it's always nice when we get a little more um, Rod Serling. So we will get ready to start with the episode. Uh, make sure you um, have your DVD or VHS or whatever you have. People still watch stuff on VHS. Go past, if you got the Time Life version of the Twilight Zone, go past the intro there and get to the point where the music's just getting ready to start. And then um, press pause right there. So, if everybody's set up, let's get started. In 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, play. Now we're getting the opening theme here. Well, hope everybody got their um, sandwiches and ready to go here. While we're waiting for the introduction to go through here, just a little information for everybody here. Um, story is written by Russ Erling from the story It's a Good Life. 
by Jerome Bixby, first published in 1953, collection Star Science Fiction Stories Number 2. This was um, Season 3, Episode 8 of that season, production code 4801, and original air date was November 3rd, 1961. We have um, John Larch as Mr. Fremont. We have Cloris Leachman as Mrs. Fremont, Don Kiefer as Dan Hollis, Bill Mooney as Anthony Friedman, Alice Frost as Aunt Amy, Max Showalter as Pat Riley, Jeannie Bates as Ethel Hollis, we have Lenore Kingston as Thelma Dunn, Tom Hatcher as Bill Summers. Getting into the start of the story here. Having the food delivered to the house. Talking about the three-headed gopher. Wow. Yeah, just walk over eggshells. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, they all love him. You know what's interesting about this was um not only was um Billy Mooney in this episode as well, he was also in a um another episode called um Long Distance Call, which of course was uh, another good episode that I like. And another one in Praise of Pip, he was in that episode as well. One of the um, kid actors that went on to um, do pretty well with his life um, on a um, the episode um, 73, Talking Twilight Zone, um, Bobby mentioned how things seemed to work out for him and Ron Howard as well in their life. Bill Mooney, uh, of course, was born in 1954, February, February 1st, 1954. He's uh, an actor, musician, pitchman, and instrumentalist, voice of actor, 
and a figure in the science fiction community. He is perhaps best known um, for his work as a child actor in film and television. He came to promise in 1960 as a child actor, most noticeably as Will Robson, the youngest of the three children of Professor John and Dr. Maureen Robson, played by Guy Williams and June Lockhart, respectively, and friends of the notorious and pompous Dr. Zachary Smith, played by Jonathan Harris, in the 1960 CBS sci-fi television series Lost in Space. Later on, he appeared as a lonely teenager, sternly north, in the 1969 Disney film Rascal, and as Tef in the 1971 film Bless the Beasts and the Children. In the 1990s, he had the role of Lanier, which is one of my favorite series in the syndicated sci-fi TV series Babylon 5. He also served as a narrator of A&E Network Emmy Award-winning series Biography. He's also notable for his musical career as a solo artist and as half of the dual Barnes and Barnes. Well, as the commentary is going on, let's um, play one of the clips from episode 73. And let's hear from Lynn. I mean, here's the whole deal here. It's a little kid who's got total control over his parents, total control over everything. He's a godlike creature who who is evil. And, you know, and it, it reminds me of um, that um, movie Firestarter with Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, her yeah. character didn't have a whole range of powers that Anthony had, but she could start fires merely by thinking about it, like Harry, you know. But the remake of this episode for 1983, uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, that was very inferior for many reasons, and especially the ending. And now I'm sure everyone saw Twilight Zone, the movie, and they saw this remake. The kid who played Anthony actually had somewhat of a soft side to him, and especially you know, the special effects were silly, totally overdone. They added a teacher character. Right, yeah. Kathleen Quinlan. Yeah, Kathleen Quinlan. Yeah, yeah. I, it was terrible. I thought yeah. it was the worst thing. And I and it was it was almost a comedy. It was almost a com. It almost it actually was a comedy. It was the a comedy. only thing good was Bill Momy as the father. Yes, yes, and and he was in the uh, diner right at the very very beginning. Yeah, and you know, I I just wish people would leave these classic shows alone and stop trying to remake them. I mean, the writers need to come up with an original thought once in a while. Stop trying to remake things that shouldn't be remade. Um, in 1980, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't 1980. It was the 2000 uh, Twilight Zone series. They did do um, an an episode of It's a Good Life, but they it was a sequel. Called it still right. a good life, and I think everyone continuation. Yeah. Yes, and the little girl, you know, she she was she had his powers now, and that actually was one of the few, and I will say few, episodes from any of the Twilight Zone remakes from either the eighties or the two thousands that was any good, and I thought that was great, and his little girl did a fabulous job, uh, as as the little girl had the powers. And you know that's the only yeah. Uh, yeah that was the only thing about about any of the remakes that I liked but um, 
you know, 98% of those, those episodes stunk. So, uh, grown up Billy Mummy was in it and his daughter and, and, and old Cloris Leachman. I thought that was pretty good. But other than that, they need to leave our classics alone. And so with that being said, uh, this episode, absolutely one of the great ones. And it will always get a five classic rating from me. And that was from Lynn there. Now they're getting ready for uh, Dan's birthday party. And one of the questions we kind of wonder is why would they have a party at the house where Anthony was? We find out that Anthony don't like dogs and give a little bit of um, what I felt about this episode, too. This story um, must be one of the most referred to besides Time Enough at Last or The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street when comparing to other stories or movies or TV shows. It is very atmospheric, creepy, and scary including the scene when a man is turned into a jack-in-the-box and the father tells Anthony to send it into the cornfield, which he does. There was a sequel made, as Lynn said, in 2002, called It's a Still Life. And we get Bill Mooney back as Anthony and Clorch Leachman back as his mother. In that story, Anthony is a middle-aged man who had a daughter named Audrey who inherited his powers, which is kind of strange. And I said, first of all, who would want to be with Anthony, or did Anthony create Audrey? Um, also, a remake, another, mentioned by Lynn also, of the story was in the Twilight Zone movie in 1983. Um, I give it a 5 out of 5, uh, classic rating. One of the comments that I made was the um, piano player and how much um, alike he looks like um, Mel Tremaine. And um, not only did I see that, but um, Lynn seen that as well. And it's sad, too, that... Um, the only television that they get is what um, Anthony makes up, and um, they all have to clap and say, "Oh, that's great, Anthony! You're a wonderful boy, Anthony." You know, I should say that um, TV sucks. You see the tension. Um, with the piano player as um, Hollis gets his um, present, the um, Pericoma record and the drink, and you see as the time goes on. And another thing, too, is why would you give someone alcohol? You know how they're going to get, and the resentment towards Anthony 
It's sad. It really is. Now next, we'll have to see what Bobby feels about this story. Anyway, so now we get this story, and it's a breath of, of fresh air to see a kid finally portrayed this way. And personally, I like kids, and I used to babysit a lot when I was a teenager. I never had any problems with them, but then nobody was like this. So this kind of took guts to put this on TV. It stands out because it's just so unusual. But you know what? Even so, it never would have worked without the right child actor in the part, and that brings us to Billy Mooney. Who's, this is a bravura performance. It rivals those of Burgess Meredith and Time Enough at Last and Agnes Moorhead in The Invaders. It's that good. Uh, Mumi, one of the great uh, kid actors of all time, along with Ron Howard, of course, makes this work like nobody else could. It would never work with anybody else. Nobody, nobody had, I don't think anybody had the ability then. I don't think anybody does today. That evil stare alone to say nothing of that finger that he points at people without wavering a millimeter. It's so disturbing, it makes you, you know, want to put yourself in the cornfield even before he sends you there. He takes it seriously. He's not trying, he may look cute in some respect, like the intro said, but, uh, but he surely is not, and you really, you really uh, uh, are disturbed by that. So uh, he's different than every other, every other person, and he's got a website now, which I, uh, I posted on the message board at our group, 53 years in the business is quite remarkable. He's pretty uh, cool. Yeah, he's pretty cool right now. He's, he's done a lot of CDs, and he's pretty awesome right now. I, I like the guy. I like him better as an adult than I did as a kid. Well, I mean, I liked him as a kid. He was in he was I, in uh, other uh, episodes, too. The one they showed on TV last night, what is that called, Lynn? The one where the grandmother was trying to... Call. Long distance call. Yeah, he was he was good in that too because Oh, was, I liked him. I liked him as well, a kid. I know. I'm saying, didn't like him as a kid, but I'm saying as an adult, he's done a lot more and he's uh, I don't know, he's a little bit more likable as an adult to me anyway. Well, well he's worked since he was age four, so I mean I know. Yeah, exactly. worked for he, all those years. He's never been out of the business. He's never yeah, been he out and, of the business. He and Ron Howard simply rewrote T V. It's really quite remarkable. Anyway, about this episode, I gave it a four and a half. You know, in the poll, four and a half, five, it's all the same. I just wanted to indicate that I had a couple of problems with it. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's obviously one of the best ones. It's certainly, if, if I was writing up a top ten, it would be in that top ten. I don't know. I wouldn't put it in the top three or anywhere because I think there are ones that are more compelling than this. But still, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very, very creepy and very uh, disturbing episode, and it really is what the Twilight Zone is all about. So, in that respect, it is it is a uh, it is a classic episode. Very much agree with Bobby on that. A little more um, discussion here about um, Cloris Leachman. Now, um, she plays the mother in this um, episode. And, um, you know, Cloris Leachman, she's made a a name for herself as, as well. She was born April 30th, 1926, um, is an American actress of stage, film, and television. She's won eight Primetime Emmy Awards, more than any other performer, and one Daytime Emmy Award. She co-starred in the 1971 film, The Last Picture Show, for which she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, Leachman's longest-running 
role was the noisy, self-centered, and manipulative landlady Phyllis Lindstrom on the 1970s TV series Mary Tyler Moore. Later on, the spin-off series Phyllis, she also appeared in three Mel Brooks films, including Young Frankenstein. Um, she also had a regular role on the last two seasons of The Facts of Life, portraying the character Beverly Ann Sickle. In recent years, she had a reoccurring role as Lois' mother, Ida Gorsa, on uh, Malcolm in the Middle. She also starred in the roast of Bob Saget in 2008. Leachman was a contestant on season 7, 2008, of Dancing with the Stars, paired with Corky Ballas at the age of 82. She is the oldest contestant to have danced on the series. She currently stars as Mau Mau in the television comedy Raising Hope. Leachman was a grand marshal for the 2009 New Year's Day Tournament of Roses Parade and Rose Bowl game in Pasadena, California. She presided over the 120th parade, the theme being Hats Off to Entertainment, and the 95th Rose Bowl game. Leachman plays a supporting role in Raising Hope, a sitcom that premiered in the fall of 2010 on Fox. She starred with Tara Reid in the fields and with um, Colin and Cameron Diaz in Gambit, a remake of a 1966 film. Uh-oh, now it's starting to hit the fan now. You're a bad man. You're a very bad man. Now let's hear what Dave has to say. Atmospheric and well done. I think the way that this child dominated them and the reason why uh, in the opening uh, reference it was said that this is like a little isolated town. They've basically been cut off. Um, the the thing about why this child could dominate them for so long and them not overpower him, if you remember there's the one scene quite near the end where it suddenly starts uh, snowing outside and the father's a little bit worried they're going to lose half the crop. But the point is you don't hear the boy you know, he doesn't point, he doesn't say anything out loud, uh, because the father turns to him and said, are you doing that? Are you making it snow? And he says, yes. Uh, and the reason I think that is quite important, because it, it gives the reference to the fact that, you know, it's not as though they could grab him from behind, pin him down on the floor, and put uh, gaffer tape over his mouth, uh, because he could still make these things happen just by thought, like With he made his it... Mind. Well, well, well yeah. mind. pardon me... Pardon me for interrupting, but uh, yeah. when he turns the guy into a jack-in-the-box, you don't have an opportunity right then to grab him right at that point? Well, I think they were too horrified by that. I mean, oh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I would, I would have thought. But you're right. I mean, the obvious thing is in the middle of the night when he's asleep, I suppose. Uh, one would assume there could have been a throwaway line where the parents defend him, you know, where, you know, like they have a, a secret meeting when the when the boy's out playing, they say, quick, come in the house, and they have a secret meeting, and the parents say, no, uh, you, think of something else, we'll do anything other than kill him, uh, and that could have done it. But, of course, you've got the 23-minute, 22-minute limit. Um, 
course, they've played the father, John Larch. Uh, he's been in a couple of others. He was in Perchance to Dream and yeah, played right. that sheriff in, in the not-too-brilliant episode, Dusk. But, of course, he's right. well-known for, for many other things. Um, uh, Chief of Police in Dirty Harry and a few other things. Quite a nice actor, really, indeed. Dirty Harry? Yeah, played the Chief of Police. I Dirty. didn't know that. Oh, I did not know that. Thank you, Dave, for telling me that. I didn't know that. And thank God he's one of those ones that did live a little bit longer. We, when we did last week's, so they all seemed to be dying off in the 60s. He lived till he was 91, uh, died in 2005. But one thing that nobody, as far as I, unless I've drifted off in the middle of the show, has mentioned the fact that probably one of the reasons why this is a good episode is because we've got a science fiction writer, a writer of short stories and an editor of a sci-fi magazine or uh, periodical, uh, Jerome Bixby writing this episode. And I do believe Dave, thank you Dave for that, he gave it a 4 out of 5 I do believe. And finally we'll finish up with Wickwall here. Personally I thought, it, I thought it was one of the better uh, best episodes. Um, scared the hell out of me when I was younger. Still kind of does. Uh, if I could add a couple of things. Um, uh-huh. The, the, uh, like Bob was saying, there were um, um, uh, and still are some scary uh, episodes of other shows uh, with kids. Like uh, anybody remember the episode of X Files called Eve? Oh yeah. Oh, Robert probably yep. does. Yeah. Where, where, yeah, where about the, the clones. Yeah. yeah, there were yep. a set of twins um, actresses. They did such a great job playing creepy kids. It wasn't funny. Um, two girls, well, two young girls. They scared okay, well, them. Well, well, how about in The Shining? You had the two twin girls in The Shining. Oh, yeah, that too. Yep. Okay, there you go. There's there's creepy kids. Ooh, yeah, they they give me the chills even thinking about them. Ooh. Yeah, but this is the early Dead 60s, around. and nobody in the early 60s dared to suggest that kids can be that evil. It's most unusual. Oh, yeah. Kids are, kids are evil. <laughs> <laughs> kids can be very evil when they want to be. What's ahead, your rating, Rick? Bye. Before we get into another section. Bye. <laughs> oh, great. And that was Rick Wall. He gave it a five. So that is finishing up the um, Twilight Zone. It's a good life episode here. And I hope everybody enjoyed the um, episode and the commentary that we had to go with it. Uh, The next one I will be reviewing will be called Kick the Can. So stay tuned for when we get ready to do Kick the Can. And I want to thank everybody for listening to this commentary. Take care. And we'll talk to you later. Goodbye, everybody. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.